So in her book, When the Heart Waits, Sue Monk Kidd tells a story of going to a monastery for a day retreat. And while she's at this monastery, she sees a monk who is sitting under a tree, very still, very peaceful. And later in the day, she approaches that monk and she says, how is it that you sit so patiently? How do you sit so still for so long? And then she says to him, I just can't get used to the idea of doing nothing. And the monk gets a huge grin across his face and he says, well, young lady, that is exactly your problem. You have bought into the cultural myth that says when you're waiting, you're doing nothing. He said, actually, when you are waiting, you're not doing nothing. You're doing the most important something there is to do. He said, I hope you'll hear this all the way down to your toes. When you're waiting, you're allowing your soul to grow up. If you can't be still, he said, if you can't be still and wait, you can't become what God created you to be. Blaise Pascal famously said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Today we're kicking off this new series called Between Cross and Resurrection, a theology of Holy Saturday. This is a series about the role of waiting in spiritual formation. Today's our first Sunday in Lent, which is the 40-day journey leading up to Easter Sunday. And the Easter week is dominated by two days, Friday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. Friday is the day of death, despair, darkness. Sunday is the day of triumph, joy, victory. But there's this day, Saturday, in the middle. Silent Saturday. It is the day that we often forget and neglect, and it is the day most of our lived experience in this life is on Saturday. It's the day after death, it's the day after despair. It's the day after the bad news. It's the day after the bad choice, the wrong decision. It's the day after you realize what just happened will forever change my life, and it is not wanted, and it is not how I planned life to go. It is the day after all of that, and it is the day before resurrection. It is the day before Resolution. Eric Severson says this, Holy Saturday is blunt and bleak and uncomfortable. Christians tend to rush past Holy Saturday to Easter Sunday. Uncomfortable with the darkness of Saturday and eager for a happy ending, we hurry to the end of the passion narrative. What do you do on Saturday? Francis of Assisi said, where there is darkness, may we sow light. So Saturday is a day of continued darkness, confusion, 
despair. So the question on that day is how might we sow light on Saturday? Where there is darkness, may we sow light. This morning, kicking off the series, we're going to talk about three ways that we can sow light on Saturday. The first is we reject quickaholic spirituality. Second, we remember stripe and yellow. Third, we embrace black boxes. So that's our map for this morning. First, we reject quickaholic spirituality. Waiting. <laughs> We're not people who want to wait. We are people who will evade the wait at all cost. The words quick and easy they're so seductive to us that advertisers know if they include quick and easy on whatever they are selling, it is more likely to sell. So we've got instant potatoes, fast relief, fast money. These are ways advertisers know we are just drawn to quick, to easy, to fast, to instant, to automatic. We are lured in by these promises like you can get New glasses in an hour. Your oil can be changed in 30 minutes. You want a pizza? 20 minutes, we'll have it to you. You need just about anything? Amazon can get it to you the same day sometimes. No wonder that we are just fine-tuned from a very early age to seek instant fixes. We want all of life to respond like Amazon, quick and easy. And let's be honest, quick and easy have made their way into the church, have made their way into religion. All too often we think it's God's job to give us an instant fix for our problems. How did we ever get this idea that God should supply me with on-demand, quick fixes for my pain. When did we start thinking God is merely a rescuer from struggle rather than a midwife through life's pain? Alan Jones says this, there is nothing instant or automatic in spiritual development. See, Saturday is the continuation of the questions that started on Friday. On Friday, some questions get born in our souls. And on Saturday, those questions continue. So you think about Jesus hanging on the cross on Good Friday. He has a question. He cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's almost like the day it seems God became an atheist. Have you forsaken me? What is going on here? It's interesting how, you know, like atheism and Christianity, when I was growing up, seemed like as far apart as possible. And it seemed like atheists were all about the mind and the development of the mind, and Christians were all about the development of the soul and the spirit. But can we just take away all those labels for a minute? 
like just remove all the labels from human beings. As human beings, God made us whole. He gave us a mind. He gave us emotions. He gave us a heart. He gave us a spirit. And until we as human beings can come together with both mindfulness and soulfulness, like we don't throw away the questions on Saturday. I mean, when you have questions on Saturday, deep soul questions on Saturday, you don't have to abandon this tradition. Questions are a part of this tradition. Like Jesus himself hung on the cross and cried out this question. And he is God. So our questions don't mean we have to abandon the way of Jesus. Our questions are a part of the way of Jesus. In fact, we have a whole entire book in the Bible, Lamentations, sometimes translated how. Like how this injustice, how this oppression, how this divorce, how this betrayal, how this infertility, how. Questions are core to what it means to follow Jesus. And some people got the message along the way, like, the questions mean you're abandoning the faith. So you better just stuff those down or just fly past those. But Jesus leads us on Good Friday with bringing all of who he is to all of who the Father is. It's bringing all of who you are to all of who God is. That includes your questions. So Saturday is like a continuation of the questions that start on Friday. Lots and lots of people in the Bible had to wait. I mean, if you want to just be impressed, think through the Bible and all the people who waited. Noah waits for the floodwaters to recede. Daniel waits through the night in the lion's den. Sarah waits in her barrenness for a child. Jacob waits for Rachel's hand. The Israelites wait in Egypt. And then after waiting in Egypt, they wait 40 more years in the desert. And then later they wait like 70 years in Babylonian captivity. Mary waits. Jonah waits in the, belly, in the fish's belly. Simeon waits to see the Messiah. The apostles, remember the apostles wait for Pentecost. Paul waits in prison. So the Bible is just rich with this language of waiting. The psalmist says things like this, for thee I wait all day long. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen in the morning. Wait continually for your God. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So the first piece of sowing seeds of light where there is darkness is to reject this idea that it is God's job to give you an instant fix. We reject quickaholic spirituality. And then the second thing is this. We remember a couple caterpillars named Stripe and Yellow. In this book called Hope for the Flowers, we meet a couple caterpillars, and that, their names are Stripe and Yellow. 
And one of the best pictures in nature that we have for waiting is this picture of a chrysalis, of a cocoon. Transformation, true, deep transformation, metamorphosis, involves these stages. The caterpillar, the chrysalis, the butterfly. Most of us want to fly, but we don't want to form. But forming always precedes flying. If you want to form into the kind of person who will soar on wings like eagles, you're going to have to spend some time in the cocoon. You're going to have to embrace the waiting of the chrysalis. And really, when you think about it, nobody who ever soars evades the cocoon. When you go to a dinner party, you don't want to sit next to the person who's like, yeah, my life has always been amazing. Yeah, I touched this and it turned to gold and then I did this and I won an award and you're like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you, at a dinner party, you want to sit next to somebody who is like, I was down and out and broke and I was eating ramen. <laughs> and then I wrote this manuscript, but I didn't have time to do anything with it. So I started this business and then the business failed. And then I put the manuscript out to like 80 publishers, but like 79 denied. And you're like leaning in. You're like, yeah, that, like that's the story you want to hear. Why? Because really good stories always include struggle. including yours. So you want to soar, you're going to have to spend some time in the cocoon. You're going to have to embrace the weight. In this book, um, Hope for the Flowers, we read about these uh, two caterpillars, and they are talking about what it means to become a butterfly. And I want to read just a couple, chap a couple pages to you. It can't be true, gasped Yellow. How can I believe there's a butterfly inside you or me when all I see is a fuzzy worm? How does one become a butterfly? She asked pensively. You must want to fly so much that you're willing to give up being a caterpillar. You mean to die? Asked Yellow, remembering the th three who fell out of the sky. Yes and no, he answered. What looks like you will die, but what's really you will still live. Life is changed, not taken away. Isn't that different from those who die without ever becoming butterflies? And if I decide to become a butterfly, said Yellow hesitantly, what do I do? Watch me. I'm making a cocoon. It looks like I'm hiding, I know, but a cocoon is no escape. It's an in-between house where the change takes place. It's a big step since you can never return to caterpillar life. 
During the change, it will seem to you or to anyone who might peek that nothing is happening, but the butterfly is already becoming. It just takes time. It's an in-between space where the change takes place. It looks like I'm hiding. I know, but a cocoon is no escape. It just takes time. You know, if a butterfly is cut from that cocoon prematurely, we all know what happens. There is no power to fly. There is no color on its wings. There is no strength inside. There's a young monk um, who once asked Abba Moses, one of the Desert Fathers, how do you find true spiritual growth? And this monk said this, go in your cell and it will teach you everything. Somehow we have forgotten this important secret in the spiritual life. George Fox calls it stayedness, staying, stayedness that when you are suspended upside down in that chrysalis with your questions, that actually it is there that you come in contact with the sacredness that is your real becoming, where you shed your false self and where that sacred process of becoming who you really are in Christ, who God made you to be really and truly, can happen. It's the sacred space of real becoming. And the temptation is always to take matters into my own hands. There's a myriad of ways I can take matters into my own hands to evade the weight. Like, you're feeling lonely? Get some food. Go shop online. Distract yourself with a zillion different things. You're feeling lonely? Just swipe right. You're feeling like undervalued, you're feeling unappreciated, you're feeling forgotten. Just muscle more, just push more, just work harder, just climb higher. There are so many ways we can evade this staidness, this weight. And the temptation is to take matters into my own hands. We just sang about it a minute ago. I will build my life upon your love. It is firm foundation. And I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not retake it. That's what it is. That's what stayedness is. I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not retake it. You know, you only experience something to the degree that you commit yourself to it. So when you half-heartedly commit yourself to Christ, like, yeah, as long as he's, like, you know, feels good for me, cool, but, oh, no instant fix, I'm going to go over here. You only experience anything in life, not just your faith, but anything in life to the degree that you commit yourself to it. So what we're singing is so true to what we're talking about. I'll put my trust in you alone, and I will not retake it. Even on Saturday, 
when the questions overwhelm me. Even on Saturday where the darkness of Friday continues and I don't know when Sunday's coming and I don't know what that's going to look like and I don't see any resolution. I will put my trust in you alone and I will not retake it. I will see that when I'm waiting, I'm not doing nothing. I'm doing the most important something there is. I'm allowing my soul to grow up. I'm allowing my false self to be shed so that I might step into who I really am designed to be in Christ, who God really made me to be, that sacred space of real becoming. See, we tend to be very long on butterflies but very short on cocoons. And we need to relearn that the deep things of God, they don't come suddenly. Spiritual growth is not like that cup of dehydrated ramen noodles where you just add a little holy water and boom, you have noodles. That's not how spiritual growth works. A cocoon is no escape. It just takes time. And if you can't be still and wait, you can't become what God created you to be. So we remember stripe and yellow. And then last we embrace black boxes. Like, what happened on Holy Saturday? Can we just wonder about that for a minute? What happened on Holy Saturday? The waiting periods in our lives are what some people have called black boxes. There is a great Radio Lab podcast about black boxes you could listen to. Um, they just talk about these peculiar times in our lives where there is a beginning... And there's a clear end, but what happens in the middle? It's a mystery. So they talk about this example of anesthesia. You're awake, then you're not, and then you're awake again. But even for as long as we have had anesthesia in medicine, as long as we have used that amazing tool, we still don't know exactly what happens when people go under. It's like a black box. You go under, you come back, but the in-between, it's a mystery. Holy Saturday, it's like the black box of Easter. Christ goes in the tomb. He comes out of the tomb. But what happens when he is in the tomb, what transpires inside, it's mysterious. In fact, the mystery has led some of the earliest followers of Jesus to speculate and to wonder about what exactly took place on Holy Saturday. There is this obscure reference in 1 Peter 3, 19 through 20 to Christ preaching to souls in prison. And then in the Apostles' Creed, it draws upon this passage with uh, the line about Christ descending into hell. But here's the thing. There is not much material for painting a clear picture of what exactly was transpiring in the black box of Christ's burial. Like, we are just not explicitly told. Now, we can say for sure, like, there were some things about what happened on Holy Saturday, even though we can't specifically say how they happened. Listen to these amazing passage, passages from Scripture about what was obtained on, through Holy Saturday. God made us alive together with Christ having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. 
This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. How about this one? But now, because of Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who had made us both one and had broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Through death, Jesus destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and he delivered all those who through fear of death are being subject to lifelong slavery. Christ appeared as a high priest, and he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. These verses just like magnify for us the mystery of Holy Saturday. Like in that still and quiet tomb, there was a war raging. Beyond the heavy stone, there is a crucified man overcoming death. How? Like, we're not exactly sure. I mean, we know that it involves preceding crucifixion on Friday. It involves the resurrection of Sunday. But the mystery of waiting, the mystery of Holy Saturday, the waiting period, it just it really just heightens our sense of the magnitude of Christ's victory over the enemy. Simone Weil says this, waiting patiently in expectation is the foundation of the spiritual life. Just imagine if a, like a 20-something college student comes to you and he's in crisis. Because after years of denial, he's finally facing the realization that he was abused as a child. And that realization has landed him in a ton of pain and a ton of confusion. And he tells you, you know, I turned it all over to Jesus three weeks ago. I asked God to heal my wounds and to take away the pain and to resolve this torment. Basically, he wants God like, to come with an eraser and just make it all go away. Now, if you have lived through Saturdays, your face softens and you move in because you know how badly he wants to just feel good again, to just erase it, to just make it go away, to just make everything be okay. And then he says to you this, 
if I can't trust God now when I need him the most, how can I ever trust God again? Now, here's the thing. It's not a matter of whether or not God can be trusted. Rather, it is the question, can he wait and wait well with him? See, he doesn't understand that there is a journey to be had here. There's a gestating, there's an uncertain birthing. And that uncertain birthing, that journey, that is where God is found. Not in the erasing of the pain, but in the embracing of it with him. We weren't promised an erasing of the pain, but we were promised a presence in the pain. And if you want to fly, you're going to have to spend some time in the cocoon. And the beautiful thing is, you have an inner sanctuary inside of you, like a holy center where Christ in you resides. And when you nurture that, and when you grow that, and when you allow the Saturdays of your life to enlarge your soul rather than shrink it in fear, when you step into the stayedness and you stay in it with God, you become the kind of person with this big interior and you bring that inner sanctuary with you wherever you go. You don't have to go anywhere specific because you've nurtured that place of you and God inside of you. you you're bringing that to everyone. You're able to love like God loves because there's a flow that's happening. See, God is offering an invitation. It's a call to waiting. It's a call to the mystery of the cocoon. And it isn't the quick and easy religion that we're accustomed to hearing about. It's deep. It's difficult. It is a way that leads into this vortex of your soul where you get to touch God's transformative power inside of you. And we have to be patient. We have to let go of control. Most of us have to get over this huge barrier, which is this. Your scarred and sacred heart really does have wings. It really does. And through that process, God wants to give you strong and colorful wings to fly. See, when you're waiting, you're not doing nothing. You are doing the most important something there is. Your soul is growing up. You are learning what it looks like to become what God created you to be. And so we say, between cross and resurrection, hello, Saturday. Welcome. I'm open 
to walking with Jesus on this day. Let's pray together as we close. God, we thank you for what you accomplished on Friday and on Saturday. And you know how we are lured, God, by ease, by comfort, by quick fixes. But deeper than the desire to just get rid of pain is this desire inside each of us to really become who you've created us to be to know your heart and to know the heart that you've given each of us. So would you help us to see you on Saturday? And would you help us to, with you, remain in the wait? To not wiggle ourselves out of the cocoon, but to wait for your deliverance. We pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.